Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brandon Turner. And we're your hosts of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. So, all right, this is our second episode. We're excited to be back with you. Happy to report that our first podcast was a success. We're pleased with the response we received so far, gaining some traction, and looking forward to continue to grow our reach. Yeah, and our website's up as well. That's uh, at www.615collector.com. So check that out. We have a link to the podcast on our website and also links to all the places where our podcast can be found, which is on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Google, Stitcher, Overcast, CastBox, basically anywhere where you get your podcasts. Yeah, basically basically all over the place. And then we also have a blog up on our website, and we did just release our first blog post. It's actually an interesting look at the history of sports cards and so in the industry and I know when I was putting that together, learned actually some pretty interesting things along the way. So I think if you have an interest in the industry, check that out. I I think you'll find that a fun and uh, interesting piece. Let us know what you think. And after thinking back on last week's show and getting some feedback from some of our listeners, we do realize that sometimes we talk about stuff that gets pretty technical or where folks that are relatively new to the space may not follow everything that we're talking about. And since we can't cover or explain everything in our podcast, We do plan to use our website and other social media channels to provide some additional content and resources. Yeah, would you say our goal is to become a sort of one-stop shop for your needs from a hobby resource perspective? That's a great question. Uh, But yeah, basically, no, that that is, um, you know, we're looking to become sort of a launching pad into the hobby for collectors. And so whether you're new to the hobby or you're a seasoned vet, you know, our goal is to provide information that'll help you in that journey. And so if we don't have time to cover everything in the podcast, we'll try to put as many resources and and content and things to help people out on our website. So check all that out. All right. So we had a big week. You had a big birthday this week. Yeah, I did have one. Yes. 21st, turned 21. Uh Had your first drink, wink, wink, but uh, yesterday. So made some, uh, what what I call uh, orange dream sickles. Yeah, they were good. And then uh, you got some decent news for those that don't know. Brandon also, you, you know, he loves basketball. From our first podcast, uh, he partially tore his PCL playing basketball. What about yeah. a month or so ago? Yeah, it was about a month ago. Yeah, and we talk. I mean, I talk like I I like to play basketball all the time, but I haven't actually played for like a month because of this. But that's all right. I've been doing physical therapy. Uh, no surgery or anything's needed. So. We're like about five weeks out or so before I can play again. You got good news from the doctor. Yeah. You got your brace off. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had that off for a while, but yeah, I guess it's just like official now. Yeah. Like, but like, yeah, I was fine already. But anyway, things are progressing. Well, yeah. Which is good. Well, unfortunately, well, so I got some good news too. It actually started as some bad news because our refrigerator went out. I'm sure everyone is interested to hear about that. But the good news is, and so for those of you listening. It's a, a point to take note of because my wife actually was looking through. We got it at Best Buy. She was looking through ads, saw the same refrigerator for like $700 less, called them up. They honored the price. We got $700 back on our purchase, so that was nice. But then on after that, our HVAC system went out or one of them. So we're going to have to do that. So, so that wasn't that wasn't fun. The joys of home ownership. That's going to hit the pocketbook a little and probably put a dent into the spending that I can do on cards. But anyway, it is is what it is. And then I know we've got. So I've got a question for you because we got Halloween coming up, and you know the big debate right now is candy corn. Yes, I like candy. Candy, corn. yeah, I like candy corn. 
You like candy corn? I, I, I actually love candy corn too. I think it's one of those things where you either love it or you hate it. Most people, it seems like most people don't like it. But that surprised me. I thought most people did. People have to. I mean, it, it's it's popular, this right? It's prevalent. Good. It's in all the stores. Good, so if man, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know. produce it and put it out there if people didn't buy it. And like you only eat it once a year, so it's yeah. Know, I yeah. like it. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, and then we got the World Series going on. The Braves and the Astros. Unfortunately, our beloved Dodgers did not make it past the Braves. Uh, that stunk for them. The Braves are up as of the recording of the show, two games to one. I know they're playing their fourth game tonight, and we are recording this on the 30th. And so I think the Braves are going to win, actually, to be honest. I think they're the hot team right now, and honestly, I just think, I they, have, so. I think they have better pitching than the Astros. And so, you know, we'll see how that goes. But to be honest, I don't really have a dog in the hunt. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. But I would like to see Freddie Freeman and the Braves and get a, get a, a, a championship. So we'll see how that goes all right so let's talk real briefly about some of the buying and or selling we did this week the selling is short because didn't do any but uh and that's you know typically the case we're doing more buying than selling the stuff but we did get a couple of things so i'll mention that we bought the uh, i think i mentioned last time we were going to do the bowman sterling and the tops gold label did buy those and rip them because i just had an itch to to rip some wax and their boxes of cards and, and see what we got. So those were, got some interesting polls out of that. I mean, they were, you know, I wouldn't say anything that was monster, but some interesting polls. And then one that I'm kind of excited about, even though I am a Denver Broncos fan, as I mentioned last time. So this is a little bit of a um, off the reservation for me because I picked up an Oakland Raider, uh, which is Denver's arch enemy. Uh, but I did find a Derek Carr downtown from a local card shop and that was at a good price so give a shout out to nash cards which is here in nashville and so i was happy about that got a good deal on that one gonna send that one in to get graded and and see what we can do with that then did pick up some upper deck metal universe hockey i know we talked about last time on the show they have their skybox metal universe blasters on the upper deck website you can get for 30 dollars. so very inexpensive it's a fun rip there's some opportunity in hockey we'll talk a little bit about that later but I did pull an Alex Lafreniere, and then uh, his cards have been on fire. There are some other names that have exploded, like Kirill Kaprizov, Capo Caco, Kale McCarr, Jack Hughes. And then to a lesser extent, you got guys like Vitaly Kravtsov, Connor McMichael, Nick Robertson. Anyway, some, some good opportunity, I think, in hockey. So that was a fun rip. And then added a couple things. I am trying to get the complete 1986 Flair basketball set in PSA 9 or better. I'm working on that. It's a slow roll because those are expensive, but I did pick up a couple more to add to that. I got Kiki Vandeway and Manute Bowl, so I was yeah. excited about that. Van- Kiki's a, a Denver Nugget, former Denver Nugget. I know he played for the Trailblazers, and can't remember if he was with any other teams. But and then yeah, Manute was, you know, seven. I think I had a like seven seven. Yeah, I had it growing up. I had a life size poster of his. I'll have to pull that out out sometime, and I should get that framed and put that on the wall. But and I did pick up some vintage as well. I really like vintage, I think both from a collecting standpoint as well as from a value and long-term investment standpoint. Uh, it's a good opportunity, so did pick up a few things there. Like I said, didn't really do any selling. So, And then I did pick up a couple of things on the fractional share platforms, but that's stuff that we'll talk about a little bit later on. So let's, let's move on and talk about what do we have in store for the show today. 
All right, so we have the halftime report. Remember, this is a segment where we will get you caught up on recent developments in the hobby. And so for today's show, we'll cover some news regarding the card companies, some auction news, some grading company news, and then some unfortunate stuff about the dark side of the hobby. Yeah, that sounds good. I know in the coach's corner, we're going to be talking about set composition. You know, sets have changed a lot over the years. We see a lot of questions about the different types of cards. And so we're going to do our best to provide some explanation on what to look for there. Then in the film study, we'll, we've got a lot of NBA stuff, basketball stuff planned for you. The season's now underway. So obviously one to spend a little time, or actually we'll probably spend a lot of time talking about some of the things there and what to look for. And then we're going to follow up on our uh, multi-part NFL quarterback review. We did. We were going to hope to do that in a two-part series. We did part one last time. We've been doing it by draft class, active quarterbacks in the league by draft class. So we did 2021, 2020 last time. We're going to do 2019 this time. We're going to have to extend that to be a multi-part series just because of the from from a time constraint standpoint in order to get through everything. And then we've got an eclectic array of names to cover in our two-minute drill. Yeah. And then from there, we'll move to the penalty box, which is our opportunity to rant. And today, we'll be talking about the use of pitchers in the baseball playoffs. Yeah, I've, I've got something planned there. That, that's, been, that's, that's been bugging me. But all right, what else? We just have the first mailbag segment, right? Yeah, we're going to do our first mailbag segment. We'll do a quick calendar check, highlight some of the upcoming card releases. And yeah, that, that's it. So a lot of good stuff planned for today. So let's jump right into the halftime report. Okay, so we'll get started with some news from the card manufacturers. Panini signed a deal to produce WWE cards. They will be the exclusive trading card and sticker partner of the world's largest professional professional wrestling organization. This is expected to begin during the first quarter of 2022. Yeah, and by the way, they replaced Tops on that license, so unfortunately the hits just keep coming for Tops. Yeah, funny you should say that because Tops, not to be outdone, signed a deal with... Uh, Nippon, Nippon. I, I don't remember. It's how to say yeah, this. it's Nippon. Nippon. Yeah. Uh, professional baseball. Just say is, Japan. It's Japan's yeah. professional baseball. That's right. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Does that replace everything they've lost? Obviously, I don't think so. But unfortunately, just things don't seem to be going that well for Top. Uh, so Panini also made headlines by filing a motion for summary judgment in a class action suit that was brought against them related to redemptions. Okay. Yeah. So this is actually pretty big news. So we'll spend just a quick couple minutes on this because I think investors, collectors, everyone in the hobby should be taking note of this. Panini is trying to make the case that the redemptions, and for those that don't know, so in when you buy a pack of cards or a box, they oftentimes will say, okay, you get two autographs or three autographs or whatever it is. And then sometimes instead of pulling an autograph, you get a redemption card. And the redemption card basically says, hey, you will get this card. It's an autograph card of this player and it's this this card in the set and so forth you send that redemption into panini and then they in turn send that card back to you well panini is trying to they got they've been sued there's been a class action lawsuit brought against them because they have been taking forever and a day to fill redemptions and in some cases not fulfilling them at all and so a group of collectors and investors brought a, a class action suit so they're now trying to make the legal case in that suit that redemptions are not contracts and they have no obligation to fulfill those. And this gets me, frankly, that maybe this should be the rant uh, because I think this is crazy. There are a ton of redemptions in Panini's product 
and most of their products are expensive. The rep and the redemption cards that, that they put in there represent some of the more valuable cards that collectors are going to pull. So if they don't fulfill those redemptions and their obligations on that, then that would be a big deal as it relates to the value of those products. You think about a lot of the products they sell, the boxes have my, maybe one pack with maybe a handful, six or eight cards or something like that. So you're literally paying 20 to 70 or 80 bucks per card when you buy those box, given the prices of a lot of them. If you pull a redemption and then they don't fulfill that redemption, that would be huge. That, that completely makes a, a different sort of calculus on, on the value of those boxes. And so they're trying to make the case that if you buy their box from someone else, like in a local card shop or in a store like Target or Walmart, that it's those stores' responsibility. It's not Panini's. And I, I, it's just ludicrous to me. I just It just blows my mind they can even make that argument. Stores don't make the product. Panini's distributing and selling them through the stores. Stores don't put statements on the box like you're guaranteed two autographs per box or X number of cards per box. That's what Panini does. And a contract is where you're giving something of value, right, and consideration of value to get something in return. And that's what you're doing here. You're paying money that Panini's getting. And yes, the store gets some of that as a distributor of their product, but Panini's getting that as well. In return, you're supposed to get their product. And their product has statements on it about what you can expect to receive in that product. And so them trying to say that that doesn't create a contractual obligation and that, that somehow that's the store's responsibility. The stores don't have licenses with the leagues and the players to produce those products. So it just, I, I'm just blown away. I just don't even know what to say. I just think under that logic, any company that makes products basically is not responsible for the product. It would be the stores that sell them. And I just, man, I, I tell you what, it, it, and I, if you're going to do this, I think just eliminate the redemptions altogether. Don't put cards in the boxes that you don't have. I mean, it's a simple fix. And then everyone knows what they're getting and we can go from there. But this is a big deal. I think investors and collectors ought to be outraged by this and should speak up and put pressure on Panini to fulfill their obligations in this regard. Because like I said, it's just, it's, it's akin to stealing. And you know, now that Fanatics has taken the license away from them, maybe Panini's not gonna care and they're just going to you know, run out the back door at the end of the day with all of this and leave investors and collectors holding the bag. I hope that's not the case. I hope they do the right thing here. But it's not looking good based on the arguments they're trying to make in this legal case. So anyway, all right. I could go on for an hour on that because that really gets me. But so we'll probably spend more time as more news and updates comes out on this and spend a little more time on future shows. But let's move on. Okay. In other card company news, Upper Deck canceled and delayed some product releases for hockey, saying it was due to supply chain issues and component shortages. Yeah, and we're obviously seeing supply chain issues across the board with all businesses uh, in the world now. You, you hear all the stories about the container ships that are sitting out waiting to get into port to unload product and that type of thing. So there was some speculation that there might be more going on here that meets the eye. I do have to admit, when I first heard the news, I was a little skeptical. It seemed like, really? I mean, they've been re they've released a few products products there haven't been this you know doesn't seem like they had issues but nonetheless i think we take them at face value and we'll see what happens but one of the interesting card releases that upper deck has coming up that i'm excited about is actually another golf release so next year they're supposed to release the sp authentic golf cards i think that could be an interesting product release and hopefully these supply chain issues will be worked out by the time that comes along all right uh in other hockey news the season is now underway, and the NHL has a new TV deal with Turner Sports. You can get your hockey on TNT now. 
It is a seven-year deal reportedly worth $225 million per season, and there's expected to be an HBO Max element to this deal as well. Yeah, and the NFL earlier, um, or NFL, NHL, I should say, earlier this year agreed to a seven-year deal with ESPN for their main TV package. So this one they just did with Turner replaces, I think, NBC is the one that had it before. And some think that this could spur some more interest in hockey and increase the audience, which if that happens, obviously you would think that might be positive for the value of hockey cards. And as I said earlier, we have been buying some hockey stuff. I think there's some interesting opportunities in hockey. I mentioned some of the player names whose cards have really done well. And I think that, generally speaking, is an undervalued and an underappreciated sport, and especially in the hobby world. But Obviously, you know, Wayne Gretzky's rookie cards makes headlines. You've got guys like Ovechkin and Sidney Crosby and, and others whose cards are very valuable. So I think it's one that investors should, should give a little more attention to. What else we got? On the fractional shares front, Collectible received buyout offers for their Sidney Crosby basket of cards and their Frank Robinson 500th home run bat. Yeah, so speaking of hockey, there's Sidney Crosby right there. I saw investors did accept the offer on the Frank Robinson bat. But they declined the one on the Sidney Crosby, which didn't surprise me because I think the Sidney Crosby offer was actually for less than the value of that card when it first got dropped on the platform. So uh, so they declined that one. And then hot off the presses, they also just got an offer, since we're going to be talking about basketball later today, they got an offer for Jason Tatum 2017 Panini Flawless Rookie Patch Auto that was a PSA 10. That offer was for $55,000. That card dropped on the collectible platform in March of this year. So it's been, what, about six months? And the value at that time when they dropped it was $46,000, So, and which is where the card was trading before this offer came in. So that's going to be a nice little premium. We'll see whether the investors uh, agree to accept that offer or not. And then I've mentioned before that we do like these platforms and think they will continue to grow and become more popular in the space. So I did buy actually a few more things, and I picked up a Joe Montana rookie card. I think it's his 1981 Topps card on the Otis platform. I think there's an interesting arbitrage opportunity there because that particular card, literally the same card, PSA 10, is selling on two different platforms. It's on Collectible and it's on Otis. On the collectible platform, investors have bid that card up to where it now has a value of over $60,000. But on the Otis platform, that card has a value of around $40,000. So what, about a 30% discount to what it is on the collectible platform. So I think it's an interesting opportunity. And so I went ahead and and bought some, some shares in that one on Otis. And then I also picked up a on the collectible platform I got a, a satchel page rookie card it's one I've been wanting to own and can't really afford to buy a high grade on that one uh, on my own and so decided saw it on that platform got it for what I think is a good value and so picked up a little bit of that and then I also took part in the they did a IPO or initial public offering drop of the cream Abdul Jabbar basketball that was used in his game where he set the all-time NBA record for most points scored by any player. I think a record that he continues to hold to this day. Still does. Yeah. So got a little bit of that one because I think that that's pretty cool. So like we said before, there are some things you got to be mindful of if you're going to use these platforms. So we'll devote some time on a future podcast to go through some of that and do a full review on those companies. All right, so next on the auction front, the first PWCC monthly auctions ended. Last night, I believe, was the final one that ended. It's interesting. I think they were hit and miss. I mean, I think they were successful, but there were some things. A lot of cards did well. 
some cards, I saw a fair number that sold for fairly cheap prices below comps, and I think that might have been in part due to the structure of the auctions because they had a ton of things that would end at the same time. Not exactly sure if that's the reason for that or not, but they did have a bunch of things end at the same time. They also had, there was some sluggishness in the site a couple of times, so probably because they had a ton of people on there and a lot of activity, so I guess that's a positive from that perspective but the site performance wasn't the greatest and it happened to be right around the time that some of those auctions were ending. So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see if they learn anything from this one and make any changes in their next one coming up in November. All right, and then we have some not so great news. Yeah, and unfortunately there is a dark side of the force, uh, Star Wars reference to the hobby. And lately that seems to be coming out more and more. Probably shouldn't be surprising. Obviously there's a lot of money in the space. Anytime you got a lot of money coming into something, you will get bad actors that will come out and try to take advantage of people in that regard, which stinks, but it is what it is. So to start with, a couple things to look out for. One is there was some scuttlebutt, I like that word, over an SCP auction had a Honus Wagner card that had been restored, but they didn't necessarily fully disclose all of the restoration on that so there's some scuttlebutt around that this one was interesting there were some postal scams this is i've seen some things popping up on this more and more of late because when you send cards in like for to some of the grading companies or cards are coming back from the grading companies there's markings on the packages sometimes that can alert someone to what that is and apparently there's been some postal workers that have been running scams and stealing some of these boxes and they got caught. And so kudos to the great sleuth work uh, by the folks over at MySlabs, which is a great platform to buy and sell cards and wax and stuff like that on. But they were the ones that figured this out. They caught these guys. They were, you know, like I said, stealing cards. I think they were out of the Nevada post office. And the good news there is I think they were able to get several of the cards they stole. They were able to get those back to the people who had the, the rightful owners of, of those cards. So and then there's another scam that was being run by a supposed group submitter. You got to be careful if you're de doing uh, or dealing with group submitters. Make sure you're dealing with someone you know and trust, or that you can talk to others in the hobby to tell you who the good ones are. And there's a lot of people in this hobby willing to help from that perspective. But there was a guy, I guess, guy goes by the name of David Connie. I don't know if you can trust that name. He had a business name by the name of Gems Only Sports. Somewhere I heard it might also go by the name of David's Monsters Cards. So who knows? They probably changed their names a lot. But basically, he was putting himself out there to be a group submitter. And really, that wasn't the case. He just ended up stealing cards. There's also been a number of fake cards that have surfaced. And then there's this project, I don't know if you've seen it, called Behind the Cards. I think the project is legit, no issues there. I've seen them on some social media posts like with HGA, with the folks at the Sports Card Investor, and other places. But apparently there was a social media post, I believe. I'm not sure how this came about, but it, it, nonetheless, at the end of the day, somehow or another they got tied to a guy by the name of Vegas Dave, and we'll just say Vegas Dave doesn't have the best or you know stellar reputation in the hobby, so there was... I'll use the word again, more scuttlebutt over that. The bottom line with all of this is that you just have to be careful. Know who you're dealing with. Only deal with people you know and trust. If something seems too good to be true, probably is. Trust your gut on things and check with others in the hobby. There's plenty of good people in this hobby willing to, to help others out, us included. And so check with those folks. There's a bunch of forums on social media sites and so forth that'll 
give you the names of known scammers, check around, get people to vouch for the people that you might be wanting to transact with before you do that. It's just, it's unfortunate that you have to do that, but that's just the reality of the world that we live in today. So, all right, let's move on to more lighter fare. So how about, did you see the guy that got the uh, football from uh, the, what was it, the 600th touchdown pass? Yeah, Tom Brady's 600th touchdown pass. Yeah, so what was the deal? Like Antonio Brown caught it and then like threw it, or did he hand it to the guy in the stands? Uh, I don't know exactly what happened. I didn't see it. Yeah, all right. Well, so here's my question. I guess the guy gave it back. So that's that's what the debate that's been going on is. I've heard some guys say, I could run out, give it to Golden Auctions and sell that for a half a million dollars. So if you you get that football, do you give it back? Of course you give it back. Yeah. That's a historic football, man. I agree. That's the first to ever do that. That's yeah. his football. That's I, Tom Brady's football. I agree. I, I think that's the right move. You got to give that back. I think um, you. I, I can't believe they like handed that out. Yeah. To like a fan. Yeah. They were, like. Well, that was I Antonio. Who, I don't know who did it, but like that, like, like they weren't even thinking. Like. I think it was Antonio Brown, and I'm wondering if he knew. He, he must not have known. Or just wasn't thinking in the moment. He probably just yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded like Brady and the or the organization are gonna make right by that guy and give him a bunch of free stuff. So he's he's gonna make out just fine. I know you said one point which I agree with. If you don't give that ball back, you're probably gonna be one of the most hated guys. In- oh yeah, well for sure. I mean <laughs> yeah, so you really have no choice at that point. Exactly. All right. So what other news we got? So in grading company news, PSA announced that Steve Sloan is now the chief marketing officer of their parent company, Collectors Universe. He was previously the president of PSA. And now Kevin Lenane, who ran Genement, a company that PSA acquired, will take over as president of PSA. Yep, and then we've got some big news on the grading front as well. This really isn't hobby news, but uh, I'll throw it in there because we're excited about it. We submitted a few things with HGA to try them out. We like their custom slabs and nothing monster. Inserts, things that would look cool in custom slabs. They are a tough grader. They use computer technology to assist in the grading of cards. So there's been become sort of notorious for being difficult to get tens. In fact, we did an analysis on their pop report. They've graded over 100,000 cards and only about 600 have gotten 10. So a 0.6% chance at getting a 10. And I am thrilled and excited to say I peaked at the grades that we got uh, in, they email you now with when your cards have been graded and they include the grades. You know, a lot of times I like to wait till we get the cards and then do kind of a reveal but I couldn't wait this time because I knew we had some cards in there that had a shot at 10s. So I went and looked, and sure enough, we got some unicorns. So in fact, we got five in that order that, that are 10s. So excited about that, excited to get those back. All right, let's move on. We do have some Fanatics news. Candy Digital is the name of a company that I think, I, I don't know if Fanatics is the sole owner, but they are focused on the NFT space. That's the non-fungible token space. They raised $100 million in private equity capital this past, or maybe a week or two ago, and that gave the company a value of about $1.5 billion. And apparently, some of the investors in that capital raise included people like Peyton Manning. So I thought that was interesting and noteworthy. They said they're going to be releasing some new NFTs tied to the Major League Baseball playoffs and the World Series, which I also thought was interesting because I thought that was a space that Tops had the rights to. So unfortunately, like I said, things just keep getting worse for tops. So we'll see what's going to happen there. And finally, the industry continues to see record sales as many auctions ended in October with record prices on cards. Yeah, a couple that I'll note. There was a 9798 Jordan Upper Deck game use patch autograph card that uh, was serial numbered to 23, which was his jersey number. That sold for $2.7 million. 
which was a record for any Jordan item. And then there was a 2003-2004 Upper Deck Exquisite LeBron James card, serial number to 99. Now that sold for $2.46 million. The serial number on that one happened to be 23 out of 99. And some people have said that they believe that that matching jersey uh, serial number helped to boost the price. So often see people ask about that. Hey, does the serial number that is equivalent to the jersey of the player help boost the price? And so based on that, I think there's your answer. Sounds like it does. I know for me that that certainly would. Maybe not. I, I wouldn't necessarily pay a huge premium for it, but definitely would prefer that over other serial numbered cards. And then there was a 2000 playoff contenders rookie ticket, Tom Brady autograph card that sold for over one and a half million. And finally, a 1952 tops Mickey Mantle, which is a popular one. That's one sold for over two million. I forget the PSA grade. I think it was an eight, if I'm not mistaken. The interesting note with that one is that Collectible, the fractional share platform, has that exact card in the exact same grade on their platform. And as of last check, it was selling for about 1.36 million on that platform. So, but just sold for over two million in another. I I think I think that might have been a golden auction is where that one uh, went for. I can't remember if that was, or might have been Heritage. It was, it was one of the big auction houses, but so that was interesting. All right, that concludes the halftime report. So let's move on to the coach's corner. Yeah, all right, so today we thought we would talk or cover, I should say, set composition. In other words, the types of cards that you'll find in sets It'll be relevant to some of the conversation we're going to have today as we get into the cards of different basketball players. But sets have changed pretty drastically over the years. It can quickly become confusing for collectors to know what's what. So we're going to do our best to kind of give you the 411 on that. You'll often hear people talk about buying base or inserts, rookie patch autos, RPAs, that type of stuff. Those are all just different cards within a set. It used to be that sets didn't have inserts and parallels, probably way back before your time, Brandon, and all the different variations that were out there. They just, all they had were base cards, what you refer to as base cards. And so most of the older vintage sets have nothing but base. Typically, in terms of the number of cards, prior to 19, to the 1980s, you'd see two, 300 card base cards in a set. In the 1980s, that jumped up. A lot of times you'll see six, seven, maybe 800 cards. And then now today, with all the different parallels and variations, there's there's far more than that. Frankly, to be honest, the, the older sets, it makes it easier when there's nothing but base. Because as an example, if you want a card from that 1986 Fleer basketball set that we've talked about that contains the Michael Jordan rookie card, it's nothing but base. There's 132 cards in that set. They're all base. So it makes it easy to collect and kind of know what to go after and find the cards to fill the, the set as well. So today that's changed. You now have a ton of inserts, patches, autographs, patch autograph combos, image variations, serial numbers, parallels, the list goes on. It makes set collecting very different today than it was in years past. We're going to use the Panini Prism basketball brand and set as an example to walk you through kind of how things have changed and over the years and how these sets are put together and what to look for. So first of all, Panini introduced that Prism brand of basketball. I think it was in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. And that set had 300 base cards. And then there were three parallels for those base cards. Two of those were serial numbered. And another one was what referred to as a short print. And then in 2013, that jumped to 11 parallels and it's basically grown exponentially from there so looking at that 2012 set in addition to the base cards and the parallels 
You also had autograph cards that were not considered to be part of the base. That was another sort of subset, if you will, or insert set uh, part of, of the overall set. So there were 100 autograph cards. Each of those also had a parallel that was serial numbered. Then you had other insert sets like or subsets um, that were not part of the base. And so generally speaking, those would be short prints, meaning that not as many of those cards in those inserts are produced when compared to the number of base cards that get produced. So Panini Prism in 2012 had the downtown bound insert. It had 25 cards and three parallels. There was the finalists insert with 38 cards and three parallels on those. There was the MVP insert, the USA basketball insert. Each of those had three parallels. Bottom line is you can see if you wanted to collect everything that made up the 2012 Panini Prism basketball card set, you'd have to collect a large number of cards. So fast forward to 2019. The 2019 Panini Prism basketball set honestly has way too many inserts and parallels and variations to count. Like I said before, it's seemingly grown exponentially because now you've got Prism parallels that you can collect in a variety of colors. So there's silver and green and white sparkle and red, blue, purple, they're often referred to as the rainbow. You'll hear, hear guys talk about wanting to collect the rainbow. That's what they're talking about. Then you've got a choice of parallels from, or, or excuse me, you've got a bunch of you know other inserts like, and, and, and there's parallels on the insert. So you've got uh, fast break parallels, ice, pulsar, wave, shimmer, you know, and each of those will have multiple colors. And that may just be in the base set. Then you've got image variations. You've got autographs. You've got patches there'll be a number of parallels and, and variations of each of those and maybe different colors, rainbow type things. I've even seen, you know, name variations, nicknames or mascot names or different ways to use the city name or maybe there's a blank back card where there's nothing on the back of the card as opposed to with the regular base set, there'd be stats and things about the information about the player and that type of stuff. And then you have error cards as well. Sometimes I think those error cards are intentional. I don't know. Uh, not to start any conspiracy theories, but sometimes I think they truly are just error cards. But the bottom line is there's tons of cards to, to try to chase when you're looking at these different sets today. And sometimes it can be challenging to even know if you have a parallel card because the differences can be really small. And there's sometimes there's not an easy way to really notice what the difference between a base and a parallel card are. So if you look at the PSA pop report today for a player that's say within that 2019 set, in many cases you're going to find well over 40 cards of that player in just that one set. So it can be very overwhelming. And so why is any of this important and how do you kind of navigate all this stuff? Well, in general, the base cards in a set are the ones that have been produced the most, like we were saying before. And so that's why you're going to hear us talk about being careful with base cards on modern players. It's simple economics, supply and demand, right? The lower supply relative to demand will result in higher prices, and the higher supply relative to demand will result in lower prices. That economic concept holds true in cards for the most part. So base cards generally sell for less than the shorter print inserts or parallels or serial numbered cards. But that said, you still have to be careful with some of the inserts and parallels because there are a lot of them and the value can be somewhat dependent on preference. It's not always about the, you know, the supply and population of them. So you have to sort of understand where collector and investor preferences are. As an example, maybe the pulsar, the wave parallels are not as sought after as the cracked ice or maybe the white sparkle or purple parallels are not as sought after as the silver or the red, white and blue parallels. 
A good reference for all of this, by the way, is um, there's a couple of sites, a couple of companies out there that produce checklists and give you kind of all the breakdown and information of what's included in these sets. And one is called Cardboard Connection, and the other is Beckett. And so check those companies out. They've got websites that provide information. Another good site to reference, and it's a new one. It's in beta right now. It's called Gemrate. And that's a company. It's free right now, but like I said, it is in beta, so I suspect they may start charging at some point. But they are good reference. You can put in a player's name or, or put in a particular set, and it will show you all the cards in that set for every player or all the cards for that player in the PSA pop report. Right now, they are doing everything for PSA, but it's a good reference. Go plug a player name in, and you will you can kind of see all the cards. They'll show you the population. They'll show you how many have gotten graded a 10 and all that kind of stuff. So generally speaking, our guidance is that for modern stuff, if you're looking to invest and get the most long-term value, we believe you should stick with inserts and short prints and serial numbered stuff because there will be less supply relative to demand. You know, remember, as the hobby has gotten more popular over the last few years, print runs have gone up quite a bit. So 2018, 2019, 2020 has a ton of cards in them. Now, that doesn't mean you have to avoid base. If you're looking for less expensive options for your personal collection, base is, is great, can still offer value. For older cards, and it's hard to put a date on that, but generally I would say anything prior to 2000, you know, you might even be able to say prior to 2010, but base is a good option. Oftentimes it may be the only option out there. So one, and one other point to make is kind of what are the more popular inserts to look for when talking about modern. And for prism, silver, is kind of the go-to it's sort of the standard i don't believe that panini publishes their print runs on this but if you look at pop reports and compare silver to base it appears that the print run is about one silver for every 10 base cards again that's not an exact but that's just kind of judging off of what we've seen in pop reports and then on the don russ side hollow is sort of the equivalent to silver and also appears to have kind of a 1 to 10 ratio, one, one hollow to every 10 cards of, of base that are produced. You'll see other popular inserts out there like Kaboom, Downtown, Color Blast, often ones included in a case. So they're, they're a lot more rare, have lower print runs. They sell for premium prices. And then you can look at things like Stained Glass, Red, White, and Blue, Checkered Board, Zebra, Tie-Dye, Cracked Ice, Hyper, Mojo. Those are all ones I like in particular and that seem to be growing in popularity or already pretty popular among collectors and investors. Some of those are more expensive than others, but you can kind of find some value. So as an example, you might get, you know, red, white, and blue for less than you can get a silver, but it might have lower pop count. So it's something to think about. All right, that's probably enough. We've covered a lot of ground there, but if you have any questions on any of this, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Let us know. We'll do our best to get them answered and steer you in the right direction. So let's move on to the next topic. All right, film study. Today we've got a bunch of stuff planned for you in basketball. And then, as we said, we're going to finish with our two-part, multi-part, I should say, the second part of our multi-part NFL quarterback review. So, Brandon, you are our resident basketball expert. You're going to get us started today. It's your wheelhouse. Where do you want to begin? Resident basketball expert. Yep. Okay. Uh, So... Let's start. So the NBA... Don't sell yourself short. Hey, whatever, man. The The NBA is in its 75th season, and we just uh, we just tipped off like, yeah, like about close to two weeks ago at this point. And so with every 25 years of the NBA, they do 
like the 25, 50, and now 75 greatest players of all time, which yep. is it's voted on by media members, retired players, both in men's and women's, I'm pretty sure, basketball, um, probably coaches. That. I'm not exactly sure the entire makeup, but basically they vote on the top 75, 50, and 25 players of all time. And so they've released the NBA 75th anniversary team. So I think that's a good place to start before we move on to like what's actually so happened. I saw that, but answer me this. I saw, and I looked, and I'm the kind of guy that counts. There were 76 players. There were that. 76 players. There was a tie-in voting. Ah, so okay. the NBA 75th anniversary team is really 76 players. But interesting. That's really just because there's a tie. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. So there's been a little bit of a debate because there were a couple of big names left off the list. One that I saw on Twitter, and then also because I'm a little bit of a Denver fan, and that was Alex English. Yeah. Alex English was left off the 75th anniversary team, which. So I don't get that. He, he ranks 23rd all time. Or on the all time scoring list. And, and I, I went and looked up just to kind of get some information. In the decade of the 1980s, he was a leading scorer in the NBA for that entire decade. And so then I was like, okay, well, who were the leading scorers in the other decades to compare that to? So in the 60s, it was Wilt Chamberlain. In the 70s, it was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. In the 90s, Karl Malone. Kobe in the knots. James Harden in the 2010s. I mean, I mean I what do you think about that? I'm, I'm surprised he was omitted. Now, I will say there's a lot of players who probably were omitted. Alex English really comes to mind because of I mean, how prevalent he was. Yeah. And also a little bit because, you know, he was talking about it on Twitter, but I will say to him, like, hey, man, like, don't put any stock in this list. Like, no, for like, sure. everybody knows you're a great player. Oh, absolutely. Everybody. And this list literally does not mean anything. Yeah. Would it be nice, really nice to be one of those players on that list? I'm sure it would be awesome. Um, and I'm sure, especially for him, it, it probably doesn't feel good to be left off of that. But even still, it's it, it really doesn't matter. But I was definitely surprised to see him off there. I was surprised there were some players that were on the list that I was surprised to see. However, there aren't exactly players that I would say like, oh, so, they don't belong there. I just was surprised to see them. So who was that? Who give me give me a couple examples? So I was surprised to see. So Anthony Davis was on the list, which I was surprised about that. And yep. then I was and a little so surprised about Dwight Howard was not on the Dwight list. Dwight Howard was not on the list. So is that what they were fighting about in the game the other night? <laughs> no, that's funny though. No, they weren't. But like. I wouldn't take him off the list for any reason. Yeah. But I was just surprised to see him there. And so that's kind of what I mean. And yeah, you, we could talk about Dwight Howard real quick because Dwight Howard was another pretty big omission from the list. Yeah. I would say the biggest two are probably Alex English and Dwight Howard. Well, then or what about a guy? About Dwight Howard. What about a guy like Vince Carter? Vince Carter, I thought for Vince sure. Vince Carter should have been on the Vince list. Vince Carter, but. definitely, definitely one of those guys that, that could be on the list. Or another, like, another homer alert, Denver Nuggets. You may not know or heard it, but Dan Issel was Dan another Issel, one. He's yeah. a Hall of Fame player. Or you had uh, KJ, Kevin Johnson. Mm -hmm. The thing is, the thing about these lists are like, yeah, like people get omitted, but like the question you have to ask yourself is like, who would you take off to put these guys on? Yeah, and that's like, true. You wouldn't, like, I don't I mean, think you look at I don't think you names. would take off anybody. No, I don't you think look you can take off anybody and say, oh, this guy deserves to be on this list more than this guy. Like, I don't think you can say that. These players are all great. And really, the point of this is it's not like, a definitive ranking of like the 75 greatest players of all time it's just a list that was voted on it's really just meant as a celebration 
of some of the greats to ever play the game yeah more than anything and so that's really what all we should take it as it's not to diminish anybody who's not on the list it's just let's celebrate the people who did make it you know no, it's a good point i think these lists you know they i think that's the point of putting them out right just to get everyone to stir up the exactly pot, get everyone to, get to debate talking, and argue debating, about who should course, be on and who, it's, and it's who was on there that shouldn't be who got left off that should be it just it makes for interesting conversation and debate i will say you're right it's a good point when you look at the list most everyone that's on here i think you'd look at and say well yeah that makes sense and looking at 76 players there's probably only a half a dozen guys on here that i actually don't know and haven't heard of all the others very familiar with but i i wasn't as familiar with someone like uh paul arizine is that oh yeah paul arizine i've heard the name i don't know a lot about him but yeah Probably a fantastic player, yeah. but just one I had not really heard of before. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is this is all time. So, all right. Well, let's. All right. So let let's. Yeah, it's interesting debate, and but like you said, it just it is what. At some point, you have to draw a line in the sand, and there's probably lots of guys that could make an argument one way or another for. But let's move on. What else? What else you got right. planned for so, today? So so we've talked about that. Now I want to talk about. Let's move into like what's actually happening in the NBA. I'll start with I think a pretty important topic before I talk about where we're at right now in terms of you know what teams are where because that'll be pretty important let's talk about the rule changes because the nba this season has announced some rule changes that are in effect and have kind of changed the way the game is played a little bit not like extensively but a lot of people will be happy to see them into the game because it makes the game a lot more watchable and that's really just rules to cut down on like the stupid fouls that a lot of offensive not flopping but like I guess, well, I guess kind of. It's more just like jumping offensive players, like jumping into defenders and stuff like that. Yeah. Stuff like, you know, you see like J- James Harden has kind of become like the face of this. Okay. Which isn't yeah. necessarily like, you but, know, it's But whatever, there's a legitimate like, part. Like, that's a legitimate strategy. Like you ball fake, you get a guy in the air and then you jump. But it, I guess it's the ones where it's like the guy's yeah. five like feet that, away that and you still just, will the be offense. Yeah. It's really more. So here's, here's the notes that they've released that like they're really looking at. There's four points they're really looking at. They're looking at if the shooter launches or leans into a defender at an abnormal angle, the offensive player abruptly uh, veers off of his path sideways or backwards into a defender, the shooter kicks his leg up or to the side at an abnormal angle, or the offensive player's off-arm hooks the defender, often in the process of attempting a shot in a non-basketball manner. So what we're really really looking at is they're trying to cut down non-basketball, what they they call non-basketball plays. Yeah, so so basically it's if you're sort of going out of your way, the offense meaning going out of your way to intentionally initiate contact with a defender, basically, then kind yeah. of getting And so this that. is what a lot of people have been complaining about for a while. I think they've been actually really, really strict on this so far, and it's working. Like, you've got a lot of guys that are still getting used to it that just kind of instinctively will throw up a shot, jump into a defender, and they're not getting calls for it. And yeah. I think it's really good for the game. It's making it a lot more watchable because these fouls really shouldn't be fouls in the first place. There's a lot of these that defenders can't do anything about. Yeah. So, all right. If you if you kind of stop watching the NBA for any reason, kind of like that, now would be a good time to start watching again to see if you like it. And honestly, that's it's made a pretty big difference so far. But so now, now that that's out of the way, let's move into kind of what's happened in the first week and a half. So I want to kind of go through the standings here because there's kind of a lot of surprises, a lot of good teams that were expected to be contenders are kind of having really slow starts. So I'm gonna kind of go through the Eastern and Western Conference here standings right now, which obviously we're only about, any team right now has played from like four to six games. So these standings don't really mean a lot right now, but it will be kind of surprising, I think, for a lot of people. So in the Eastern Conference, our top teams right now, 
I'll kind of divide this into like, you know, top of the pack, middle of the pack, and then like the, the bottom. The top of the pack for the East right now is really surprising. None of the teams that you would expect to be here are really here besides maybe Miami and New York. Yeah, Miami. I, so, Miami's so, good. So the, the Knicks, the Heat, the Washington Wizards, the Chicago Bulls, and the uh, Charlotte Hornets right now are at the top of the East, which Bulls, not so surprising. We'll talk about them in a little bit, but like Wizards have had a great start. And the Hornets right now have had also a really good start. So middle of the pack, we've got the Bucks, the Hawks, the 76ers, the Raptors, which we'll talk about, Brooklyn Nets, and then the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's the middle of the pack. Nets and the Bucks are in that category, so that's pretty interesting. And then we have the bottom, we have the Celtics, the Magic, the Pacers, the Pistons, which I guess these aren't really any big surprises besides maybe the Celtics, but I don't know. The Celtics are kind of picking up where they left, left off from last season. So in the West... The top is actually not super surprising, but there is like one or two in here. You've got the Jazz, the Warriors, the Timberwolves at number three. They've been playing pretty well, actually. The Mavericks and then the Grizzlies going towards the middle. The Kings, the Nuggets, the Trailblazers, and the Lakers are kind of towards the middle. And the bottom, we actually have a lot of teams that with only one win. The Suns being one of them. They're one and three right now. Suns, Rockets, Clippers, Spurs, Thunder, and Pelicans are all... All one win. The Jazz still undefeated. They, they those I don't man. You talk about a team. They seem like they're just always, regardless of who they have, what players they've got. They don't. They seem to never necessarily have any. I, I mean, they, probably not a fair statement to say they don't have flashy players. But I was, you know, like the other night. I think they had like six guys score double digits. Yeah. Well, each, they. But. I think they are. They were the most complete team last season. I think they still probably are. I think your top teams in the West right now, regardless of the standings, I think the Jazz and the Nuggets are kind of the top two right now. And then maybe the Warriors. Right now, that is. That could change pretty quickly because obviously it's still very early in the season. A lot of these teams are having slow starts. But I think that's pretty interesting. Now, the Jazz typically haven't performed in the playoffs, but that I mean that could change. They're typically a really, really good regular season team. They were the number one in the NBA last season and wins. So. All right. Well, and you got to be happy about Miami. Yeah, they're, Miami's doing really good, and so they're looking. And so yeah, let's let's now, talk I, about Miami because they they made some changes in the off season. They have traditionally been a very good team, but last season we were a little slow. I love how you say we. We well, <laughs> hey man, that's my team. Homer alert. That's my team, man. Yeah. And so the thing about Miami is they've traditionally been pretty good, but. So we kind of struggle with offense. Here's so, what I don't understand about Miami, though, and we'll talk about some of the. We'll get into some of the individual player stuff, and then we can speak to some of the cards those guys have as well. But with Miami, they're big players. They got Bam. They have Bam out about. They got Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. Right, and now then they, they got Tyler. In, they have Tyler here, but they also brought in Kyle Lowry, and that's the biggest addition this season. Okay. Came over from the Toronto Raptors, All Star, won a championship with Toronto in 2019, and we brought him in to be the point guard because. A, so big, a, that, big, a big issue with their offense was that Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler were spending too much time handling the ball, and they couldn't really focus on scoring as much, and those are two big scorers when you let them be. Yeah. And so now Kyle Lowry kind of brings in organization. You give him the ball. He's taking a step back. He's still not scoring big. He can score big, but he's still kind of figuring out his place in the system in Miami. Our offense is never even better. If you talk about last season, we are 29th in field goal attempts per game. And it's pretty hard to win games when you don't take as many shots as the other team. So here's my question for you, though, with them. Tyler Hero, so he's one of the more, when you look at some in the card world, 
he's got the pop count on his cards are probably higher than just about any other player on the Heat. But yet he's not a starter. He's a sixth man. But he's, and I saw the other night well, scored twenty six points off the bench. I think this is actually a really good place for him to be, especially for Miami because Miami has such a good starting five. And the thing about Tyler Hero is he's a guard, and so who's he going to replace? He's going to replace either Kyle Lowry, which he's not going to replace Kyle Lowry in the starting lineup, or he's going to replace Duncan Robinson, which fair enough he could. But the thing is, we want Duncan to play big minutes because he's a great shooter, and that's really all Duncan does. What Tyler brings is he can come off the bench with the second unit and score big, and that's kind of really his job. He's kind of playing almost a Jordan Clarkson-type role with the Utah Jazz last season, who won six men of the year last season, where he just comes off the bench and they say, just go score. Yeah. And he can do that. He scores big every night. Last season, he was a little slow, but this season he took care of his body, gained some weight, put on a few pounds, really worked on his game, and he's looking really good. Same thing with Bam. Bam gained 15 pounds so he can like really... like actually battle with the big guys in the post now also scoring numbers way up all right some card info on those guys just so since we are a card podcast for tyler hero i would say be a little careful because he was uh 2019 was his rookie year right i think think and so. so that remember that was a year when pop counts or print runs started to increase quite a bit so he's got some very high pop counts but an interesting one, I think, we were talking about inserts earlier, would be the in the 2019 Panini Prism, he's got a red, white, and blue parallel that I think could be interesting because it's got about half the pop count of the silver, and the PSA 10 in that, it's been a little volatile, um, has increased in price, it was $50 a few months ago, it's around $100 now, but if you're looking for something a little on the lower end, not quite as expensive, that might be an interesting option. And then for Bam, his rookie card was in the 2017 Panini year. And so the Panini Prism Silver in PSA 10 sells for about $400, uh, which is not necessarily cheap. Again, the red, white, and blue Prism Parallel with a lower pop count sells for about half that, around $200. And then he also has the Hyper and Mojo Prism. I was talking about those earlier. I think those are pretty cool inserts. They're um, also maybe a little more expensive, but a couple of, of interesting cards of his to, to look at. And then one more thing I'll add to that is another big change for the offense is that Kyle Lowry brings is Kyle Lowry likes to play fast and in transition, and Miami traditionally hasn't done that, and so he's bringing that to us. Bam Matabayo is kind of playing wide receiver a lot of the time, and that's pretty good for them. So I'll move on to two teams that are struggling, the Lakers and Brooklyn, which were expected to be title contenders. I think they still are, but they're just off to a really slow start. So I'll start with the Lakers. And the Lakers are kind of in a weird spot right now because I think a lot of people a lot of people were worried about their age, their team grandpa out there. Hey, now, be careful. Me, personally, I didn't think... Nothing they, wrong with a little age. Nothing wrong with a little age. And personally, I didn't think that would affect anything. But what I am seeing it is affecting is defense and that's something I think age really affects because all these guys can still score and they can still get out and run transition but it seems like they're kind of struggling to keep up on defense a lot of the time with the young guys their season opener against Golden State it was kind of exposed Golden State plays a fast you know they, they move the ball around a lot and they were kind of exposing the rotations of the Lakers a little bit one question I've got on the Lakers, I feel like, so they got all these, right? They got Dwight Howard, they got Anthony Davis, they got Russ, they got LeBron. And I just wonder, and you obviously saw at the beginning of the season, you know, some, some of the guys kind of, you know, getting into spats. 
what's the team chemistry like between all those guys? Those guys are all actually really good friends from what I've seen. Okay. The the thing between between Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard, I don't think were, was really anything. Dwight Howard was I forget exactly the situation, but Dwight Howard had there was like two things he did on the court that Anthony Davis was like, "Hey man, like you got to relax a little bit." And I think it just got a little bit out of hand after the game. They said they figured it out, and I believe them. I think they're fine. Those guys are all friends, really. Like LeBron, right. Carmelo, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway. So, and we'll I'll talk about some cards in a minute because I, I I think the LeBron rookie in the 03, uh, his 2003 rookie cards actually have some interesting value still. I know they're expensive, but some of them are. But there are some lesser expensive I, I don't know I think they're not as expensive as you, as you would expect and in comparison to some other guys but we'll talk about that a little bit more later as we talk about a couple of other players so what else what about Atlanta, uh, Atlanta. They, they've come so, out to shoot pretty good yeah uh, Trey Young's looking, looking, looking good. solid so they did a really good playoff run last season they look really good I think they're a legit team and it looks like they've picked up right where they left off they've got a really good young core so they got a lot of room for growth obviously they got trade they got john collins john the baptist they got clint capella uh cam reddish is one to watch but yeah they're looking pretty good they played dallas in their in their opener and they they beat they beat them pretty good and so yeah i'm all in on trey young i mean again one of those guys who's maybe pop counts are going to be a little on the higher end and some of his cards are are have already reflecting some of his performance but i think if you can find some stuff that isn't crazy expensive i I think it's there's value there for a long-term investment all right and then i'll talk about brooklyn just real quick not really a whole lot to talk about there they're just kind of still figuring things out obviously they have the Kyrie situation that's whatever they still have kevin durant and harden they still have a pretty good team but they just they're off to a little bit of a slow start then they'll figure things out i think a little bit of it is attributed to james harden kind of figuring out the role changes um he kind of came out of the gate slow didn't go to the line a lot you know he averaged nine ten trips to the line a game uh, over his career over his first four games he had like i think a total of 13 or 14 trips which I think refs may be focusing on him a little bit more than they are the other players. I've seen a lot of pretty obvious fouls that didn't have anything to do with the new rule changes, but he's figuring it out now, and that's what great players do. And so I think Brooklyn, they're going to be fine. They're just off to a little bit of a slow start. So who are give, give me a couple of players that you think might be sleepers that, that, uh, or that are maybe not getting as hyped as much that you think could have some pretty good seasons. Uh, okay, yeah, let's talk about uh, Jordan Poole. He's... He's starting to get a little hyped up right now, just because he's had, he's had, he had actually had like such a great start. He had a really good playing game last season against the Lakers. And for those that don't know, say who does he play for? Oh yeah, he plays for Golden State Warriors. Yep. Um, and he had a really good preseason. He was averaging, I think, close to thirty points a game. And he's just kind of picking up right where he left off. He he's taking a big step forward, and I think he's going to continue to improve over the course course of the season. I don't think his stuff is that expensive right now, although you did say yes. that. Yes. Well, I'll touch it's on starting, it. it's starting to come up. Yeah. So. so 2019 was his rookie year. So again, 2019. There you go. You know, pop counts. You got to be careful of Panini Prism base PSA 10 sells for about 130 to 150 dollars. Now that's up from about 50 to 60 dollars around a month or two ago. The industry is clearly on the same track that you're on in terms of the looking at the potential opportunity here. His uh, Panini Prism Silver PSA 10 sells for around four to five hundred dollars. That's up quite a bit. It was two hundred and fifty dollars about a month or so ago, and then uh, he's got a PSA 9 Silver that's now over a hundred dollars from about forty or fifty dollars. So yeah, you do have to be a little careful just because his stuff has come up. But clearly, people in the hobby are, are agreeing with your assessment. 
All right, and then I want to talk about Paul George for a second. Yeah. So Paul George is a great player. Everybody knows he's a great player. He just player. lit up, what, 40-some-odd points yeah, the other 42 night. 42 points the other night. Okay, so here's the issue with the Clippers. They don't have Kawhi. Here's why I want to talk about Paul George. They have no Kawhi. So he's going to have to step up and have a great season. And I, I honestly think Paul George, I mean, he can be the number one guy on that team even with Kawhi. They kind of trade off a lot of times. And Paul George in the playoffs last year, Kawhi went down in the playoffs. And the Clippers still, they beat the Jazz. They played really well against the Suns, and it was just Paul George. And obviously, the Clippers are a very deep team, but he he did a lot. Yeah, and you know, so, and from a card perspective, he's an interesting one. 2010 was his rookie year. He started with Indiana, went to OKC, Oklahoma City, and now with the Clippers. But interestingly, his 2012 Panini Prism is actually the one card that has the highest pop count, even over his 2010 rookie. And I think that's likely because that was the first year, as I mentioned earlier, that Prism or that Panini introduced the Prism brand in basketball. But so his 2010 Don Russ rookie in PSA 10 sells for around $300. There's not a lot of sales on that. The PSA 9 has more sales and it's around $40 if you want an inexpensive option there. The 2012 Panini Prism base PSA 10 sells for around $100. It's come down quite a bit over the past year or two. And the Prism Refractor uh, which I would say probably equivalent to the current day silver in a PSA 10 sells for around $600. There's not crazy expensive, so there might be some good value there. Yeah, I really think that he could be an MVP candidate this season. Again, he finished third in MB- MVP. Well, hot take alert. <laughs> okay, well, here's what I'm going to say. If you the got Clippers, G- If the Clippers are a top six team in the West... I think Paul George is in the MVP conversation. There you go. All right. I mean, he's already had like two, I think, at least 40-point games. They've played, I think, four games. Going to have a lot of – there's the so going to be competition Clippers. with Ja Morant in that conversation. Mm-hmm. Giannis, right? I mean, uh, the issue the issue KD. here – I think uh, – if you're really talking about that, I think it's it's KD, it's Giannis, it's – yeah. But like – Yeah. But the, the thing is that they're not winning yet, um, so I'm not sure. They're, they've only have – they're at the very bottom of the West right now, I think one and three – so we'll see how they do, but he's definitely one to watch. Um, besides him, uh, we could probably talk about SGA real quick. Okay. Uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, he plays for OKC. I'm glad you pronounced his name because I cannot. Right. You know, he's one to watch. He just signed a max contract with Oklahoma City for five years. They're, they're betting on him. He's, he's definitely a great player. He was in the draft with Luka and Trey and DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, and so that's in his bringing it to his cards. He does that, that was rookie year was 2018. So again, some higher pop counts because Luca was in that year. He's got a Prism, a Don Ross Optic Hollow, or the cards that I was using to gauge pricing. The Prism PSA 10 sells around 110, 120 dollars. That's been flat to maybe slightly down. The silver though sells for a lot more. It's a 700 dollars. Um, that's come down though from about a thousand dollars. And I, I will note here that if you just want a silver and you don't care about the growth in value as much or, and can't afford the 10, the 9, PSA 9 on that sells for around $130. The red, white, and blue prism that we've been talking about, a little more of an affordable PSA 10 option, lower pop count, that could change. I've seen that sell for around $160 to $170, and that's come down in price. Uh, I think it was around the $200 to $300 range before. So Right, and he's been improving every year. His numbers have been consistently going up. Last season, he had numbers that could have made the All-Star team. Now, it was a tough bet last year, so I think you know this year he's got a real shot at it if he wants to. He's been playing pretty well, but he's definitely one to watch. Okay. And we'll talk about another player on that same team, Josh Sorry, yeah, Josh Giddy. 
He is a rookie. Yeah, he's drafted. And I don't know a whole lot about this guy. Um, He's from Australia. A lot of people think that he might be like the steal of the draft. And from what I've seen, from what I've watched of him, I've really only seen him play in a game against the Lakers where, funnily enough, they... uh, the Lakers blew like a 25-point lead to Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City came back and won, which... So there's been a little bit of buzz on him. He doesn't really have much in the way of graded stuff. I'm not sure what sets he's all a part of because he is a rookie, but I have seen some raw stuff out there that sold for a little more. There was a Chronicles certified rookie patch auto serial number to 99. I saw it went for around $240. Definitely people are taking notice of what he's doing. I'd be a little careful just because buying his stuff because there's not a lot of information out there on pop counts. Obviously, if he has a good run and starts performing well, his pop counts will go up, but it, it sounds like there could be some definitely some value there. Yeah, um, so he's definitely just one to watch. Um, the only thing I would say about, so with him and, and uh, SGA, because SGA is with OKC, right? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, so with those two. So that's my only question there is, like, is OKC in a market where these guys can really do well, I well, guess? Well, I and, think that question comes down to kind of maybe their coaching in their front office, because I think the actual team itself is, is just fine. They've got a lot of young guys. Um, we didn't mention Lou Dort. I won't really talk about him, but he's a great player as well. He's pretty young. Thing okay. is, OKC two years ago with, with Chris Paul, they made the playoffs, and they're in a rebuilding phase right now. So these guys are going to get a lot of minutes. They're going to get to improve. Obviously, they're not winning a whole lot, but they're doing a little bit better. So I, I mean, I wouldn't be too super concerned about that. All right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Chris Paul. Let's go there because I want to touch on. We had a couple of players that surpassed some pretty significant milestones. Oh I know yeah, you had those. Yeah, in your we can notes. talk about that real quick. So Chris, Chris Paul, Paul was the first player with 20,000 points and also 10,000 assists in NBA history. Wow. First player ever. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw that in, your, in the notes here that you had that. I didn't realize that. I was thinking, when I was like, wow, he's the first one. I would have yeah. thought guys like Magic Johnson. I, I was or, honestly surprised about that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. He's, he's the first, and that's so, big time. Or even a, even a Michael Jordan, I guess maybe the assist on his side. But anyway, but Magic, I would have thought. I'm curious what Magic stats are now. I don't have that in front of I me. I feel like Magic might yeah. just not have had the scoring. I will say all. this. I think there's value in Chris Paul because I was looking up his stuff. There is not a lot of graded stuff out there so 2005 was his rookie year he's got tops and paper what they call paper and then tops chrome and the total pop counts on those are 825 and 721 respectively and then if you look at the PSA 10s of those two there's only 325 in paper and 274 with chrome and from a value perspective the paper psa 10s around 250 dollars they've moved up a little over the last month but not a ton and the chrome psa 10s around 600 dollars now that one's been a little more volatile but it is down actually quite a bit over the past year but over a longer if you you know extend out to a longer period of time it is up the psa 9s of that card are around 120 to 150 dollars if you want a less expensive option say for your personal collection and there are some refractors and parallels out there that sell for more. He has a an 05 Bowman draft picks and prospects, uh, both paper and chrome. There's not a lot of activity on those to get good comps, but the PSA 9s that I've seen were around $50 to $75 for the paper. The chrome PSA 10s are around three to 500 give or take. Anyway, I, I think for a guy that was the first player to ever do that, I mean, I, I think there's some interesting long-term investment value there. He may be one I'm going to look to add to the personal collection. Definitely. And then I think last thing we'll talk about for, for basketball stuff is Carmelo Anthony uh, has passed Moses Malone for ninth all-time scoring. 
Yeah, that surprised me when I saw your notes on that as well. Because I and I'll tell you, I know Carmelo is a elite scorer, but just surprised that he was in the top ten all time in the NBA. And then, but then more than anything, also kind of surprised Moses Malone was ninth yeah, <laughs> or, or on I that mean, list. Hey, man, you know, I, uh, but I will agree with you there, Carmelo. Um, the first time I saw him, I think he passed somebody last season as well, and I hadn't really been keeping up with the with you know the scoring list or anything. The first time I saw that, he he went to tenth, I think. I was also surprised that he was so high. I didn't really realize he was that high on the scoring list. I figured maybe like, you know, teens, 20s, but no, he's already in the top 10 now. So, well, and so that's, and I mentioned earlier, so about the 2003, that was his rookie year. That tops set, there's paper and chrome, and his 2003 tops rookie card doesn't have a crazy high pop count. And I think it's an interesting set. We'd mentioned before, it holds a LeBron rookie. But it also holds the Dwayne Wade rookie is in there. I think it's a decent long-term investment on that set because you can pick that up today for under $2,000. I know that's not cheap, but it's also not crazy expensive. It holds those three rookie cards. It also has the rookie cards of guys like Chris Bosh, Luke Walton. And then there's other important cards of players like Kobe Bryant, Dirk Nowitzki, Scottie Pippen, Shaq, Carl Malone, Reggie Miller. I think that's an interesting set. The The Carmelo 03 Tops base in a PSA 10 sells for around $250. The Chrome uh, in a PSA 10 is around four to $500. And the 9, if you want something less expensive, is maybe around 100 to $150. All right, yeah. And then quick last note before we move on to the QB things. Uh, a, I know I said we talk about the Raptors and the Celtics, but, you know, it looks like we don't have a lot of time. Raptors, big question mark. Celtics kind of still suck. Finally, Bulls. Go watch the Bulls. The Bulls are an incredibly fun team to watch this season. They play fast in transition. They're kind of almost a throwback team. They take the least amount of threes out of any team. Uh, they got a new core of players. Incredibly, incredibly fun team to watch, and looks like they're going to be pretty good this year. So with well, that... Well, um, hold on. There's one I want to mention, or maybe maybe two, but one in particular. So we haven't even touched on John Morant, and I gotta, I want to touch on him real quick. Okay. And then one other... One other real quick, won't spend a lot of time, but Anthony Edwards. So what do you think about, about him? He's with Minnesota, right? With Minnesota. And they're doing well. Looks like he's improving this season. Yeah. Definitely. I think he's going to be pretty, pretty good. He's going right. to be a superstar. So John Morant, I got to say, and I wrote in the show notes here, I'm I'm all in on John Morant. I loved I watching him. You. You, you disagree or you agree? No, I 100% agree oh, with yeah, you. Yeah. He yeah. is number one in scoring right now, tied with Steph Curry. Food for thought. Well, and the guy, I wa- I loved watching him in college. He was amazing. He just, he reminds me of Jordan. I'm not saying he is Jordan. He's not at that level yet. But he just, his, his athleticism. I, mean, I definitely agree. And his skill set. Freak athlete. Yeah. Didn't really have a jump shot when he came into the league, but now has one. Definitely, I, I mean. And he's got, you know, his cards are not, obviously he was, uh, what was he, 2019 was his rookie year. High pop counts. He's not going to be cheap. In fact, it's interesting if you look at pop counts. He's got the same, you know, number of PSA 10 cards out there. It's I think it's over a hundred thousand. I may be mistaken on that. Maybe maybe he's less. It might be fifty thousand. But anyway, he's got a significant number of PSA 10s out there in a short amount of time. So you got to be a little careful with the pop counts. And some of his stuff's expensive. But I do think if he does turn out to be one of the greatest to play, who knows? That's a, there's a lot that's got to happen for that to be the case. But I think he's worth investing in from that perspective. And there's some interesting cards out there. So I was looking at a 2019 Optic. I know some guys don't necessarily like that one as much. But 
there's a, a My House Hollow, which is kind of interesting. That's a that's a in PSA 10 is a lesser expensive card to pick up, and I think it's a, a cool looking card. And last sale, it has gone up in price in the last three months, but the last sale on that was $176 which is quite a bit different from, say, just the Optic Hollow. Um, that's around $240, give or take. And then bear with me here. I've got Card Ladder up, and I want to see if I can find. Here it is. So the, the, the Prism Silver, let me look at the PSA 10, just kind of the, the gold standard of what we look at for value. So his 2019 Panini Prism PSA 10 Silver last sold for $1,900. So like I said, not cheap. But there are some other card options out there that, that are cool cards. And uh, in PSA 10, you can get for not crazy expensive prices. And like I said, I, I'm all in on him. I've, 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 uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Absolutely. All right. Uh, so with that, I think we should move on to the QB review now. Okay. So, so last time we were 2021-2020. So let's review the 2019 draft class now. All right. And that includes, what do we got? That we got includes Kyler Murray. Uh, Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. There you go. Current quarterbacks in the league. And real quick, last time we inadvertently left out Trey Lance when we reviewed the 2021 class. So quick follow-up. I'd just say that I'll take a flyer on him. He doesn't have a lot of graded stuff out there yet. Probably not much of anything as far as pro uniform. His raw stuff's not crazy expensive. If you like the guy, I think it's probably worth speculating on. Just know that the pop counts will probably explode once he gets a chance to play and if he performs well. The value of his stuff probably goes up if that happens, but the downside is... Well, if you if you don't pay up for his stuff, the downside's probably limited, especially if you're picking up raw. All right, so in the 2019 draft class, Kyler Murray is probably the only one that I'd really invest in here, and I'd probably be a little cautious in that regard just because I think the prices on some of his stuff already have a lot baked in. But unless you're just a fan of the other guys, so Daniel Jones and, and Drew Locke, I, I just don't think I would – spend the money on them you know we'll see what happens with Drew Locke maybe Denver trades him to another team he gets an opportunity to play and does better I don't know but Denver has a heck of a team around him and and he hasn't been able to win the starting job and really stand out in his play there so that gives me reason for pause now Kyler's stuff's expensive so his 2019 uh, Panini Prism Silver PSA 10 recently sold for over $3,000. That was around $2,000 just a month or so ago. His Optic Hollow in a PSA 10 sells for around $900. Those prices aren't quite as high as guys like Herbert or Burrow, but I still think you got to be careful not to pay too much. Some I've heard some people question why he's not valued higher like a Herbert or Burrow given the performance he's had this year, but I think a lot of it's because he's a more mobile quarterback than those guys are. Uh, relative to the pocket passing and recent history hasn't been kind to mobile quarterbacks and so if he were to unfortunately knock on wood get injured let's hope that doesn't happen although I, I think he got a little nicked up in the game the other night against the Packers that could hurt the value of his cards but he does remind me of a guy like Russell Wilson who I know we're going to talk about later on another show in part of our multi-part series so I like him but I think you got to be a little careful because the prices of his cards I think already have a lot baked in. All right, let's move on. What do we got? What's All next right. on our agenda? Yeah. So let's go into the two-minute drill. All right, so just a reminder of this segment, we're going to go through players in a rapid-fire format and give our thoughts on whether we would buy, sell, or hold their cards. All right, so start the clock. The first one we've got is Serena Williams. Yeah, so I would be, to be short and rapid-fire about it, I'm a buyer. A couple of her things recently sold at auction for pretty high prices but she's got some other stuff and it's net pro 
there's a bunch of net pro they're the, they're the ones that make those cards a uh, bunch of other net pro rookie stuff in psa 10 that have come quite a bit down you know they were selling for over a thousand dollars some of that stuff's now down around 100 to 200 dollars. so i'd be a buyer and I'll also throw in rafael nadal roger federer and novak djokovic just because this is like i mean it, it's amazing i don't think people appreciate necessarily just what's happening in tennis we have some of the greatest players several of the greatest players all time playing together right now in tennis it's 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 fantastic if you're a tennis fan and so i think there's some value in long-term investment in those players cards phil mickelson yeah i'm a buyer of him as well his stuff's not crazy expensive i don't have any notes in front of me to there is a auto card and I apologize. I'll have to look it up, and maybe I can mention it next time on the show. But there's an autograph card of his that in uh, that there's not a high pop count on. It's a serial numbered card in PSA nine and and ten. You can pick up for a decent price. So I'd, I'd be a buyer of him. Okay, Charlie Morton. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, this <laughs> I think got brought up because of the game that he pitched in the World Series, where mm-hmm. he had a broken leg, took a line drive off of his leg from I think it was Jordan. Was it Jordan Alvarez that hit that? I, I think sure. it was. Anyway. And took that line drive, fractured his leg, didn't know it at the time. He continues to pitch, finishes the inning, comes back in the start of the third inning, and and keeps pitching before finally giving in to the pain. So, holy cow. I mean, that's the stuff legends are made of, right? That's fantastic. It's another reason why I kind of pull for the Braves. As for his cards, though, I think that's a great story. But at the same time, I don't think it necessarily is going to give any significant bump or increase in value to his cards. So I wouldn't be buying them unless you just want to for your personal collection. Okay, I've got one for you, actually. Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma, yeah. Um, So assuming his stuff isn't that expensive, Kyle Kuzma has been a bit of a laughing stock of the NBA. He played for the Lakers, uh, but he's now been traded to the Wizards. And he's in a situation where he's going to be able to step up into a bigger scoring role. He has more responsibilities He's had a couple big, you know, scoring and rebounding games. I think he's a good player. A lot of people don't seem to think so, but he has a lot of potential and he has been playing very well and Washington it, kind of is counting on him. So I think he's going to have a pretty good year. Yeah, it looked like I saw the last couple games he's performed pretty well. Oh, yeah. As long as it's not crazy expensive, so I'll just give a quick note on that. So I did look at his stuff. It has come down in price over the past year, so it does look like it could be good value. 2017, I believe, was his rookie year. PSA 10, Silver Prism, selling for around 100 to $120. That is down from over $500, so That'd come down a lot. It. Definitely buy yeah, and then there's some other graded stuff that's out there that's un- that's not expensive. It's under $100. So. All right, uh, yeah, so let's move on. Let's do some vintage, starting with Terry Bradshaw. Yeah, funny you would consider him vintage, but that is true. Technically, you're right. I consider anything prior to 1980 to be vintage. His rookie card is in the 1971 top set. There are actually only three PSA 10s of that card, so it might be difficult to pick that up. It's going to be very expensive. But remember, with vintage... My advice is you just have to look to buy the best grade that you can afford. You can get, you can pick up lower grades in vintage and still have a lot of value in long-term investment. And so I would be a buyer of his stuff. Okay, last one, Satchel Page. Yeah, I'm a buyer of Satchel Page. In fact, I did just buy uh, not that long ago his 1953 Tops card. It was a sort of low mid grade, and that's you know again because with vintage you got to just buy the grade you can afford. If you get into more mid high grade stuff, it's it's really expensive. I think he's a good long-term investment. And interesting note on this one, Apple just recently acquired or I say recently it was probably several months ago now but required the rights to his story and apparently developing a drama series that I think is going to be either directed or produced or something by Magic Johnson is one of the ones involved with that 
and it's going to be focused around Satchel Paige and uh, the Negro Baseball League. And so who knows, that could provide a bit of a boost to his card values when that comes out. But even without that, I think it's still a good long-term investment. I'd be a buyer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the end of the two-minute drill. Awesome. All right. Well, then let's go on to next up. We've got the penalty box. All right. Yeah, and I think you've got a rant today on the use of pitchers in this year's baseball playoffs. I'll be quick about this because I know we're running a little bit longer on time, but I just, it is crazy to me. I don't know what is going on in baseball in the playoffs with how managers are using pitchers. So I don't know if this has to do with sabermetrics or data and the analytics and all that kind of stuff, but it is crazy to me because when you look at the way that pitchers were used in the regular season and what got a lot of these teams to the playoffs, it's like all that went out the window when the playoffs started. Now we're, all these teams and managers are using their pitchers in a completely different way. So as an example, some quick stats. So in the regular season, the average uh, innings pitched for a starting pitcher in a game was six, but in the playoffs, it's about three. So, I, I mean, it's just crazy to me. And so, and I, and I wonder how much it might be hurting or did hurt some of these teams and their chances. You look at a guy, for example, like uh, Garrett Cole with the Yankees uh, in that first game with the Red Sox. He, he allowed three earned runs. Granted, it was in two innings. So I realize it's like, okay, it's a playoffs. We, we can't give up a lot. So we, but remember, it's, it is the playoffs. It's the first game. Three earned runs in two innings. There's a lot of times he was, he's in the conversation for the Cy Young. He had a fantastic year. He's your ace pitcher. A lot of times, guys, they're juiced up. They come out. It's the playoffs. Yeah, maybe they get knocked around a bit in the first couple innings, but then they settle in. And and so who knows what would have happened, right? He could have settled in and just retired the, the side for the next several innings and put the Yankees in a position to potentially win. But they, they give him an early hook, and then other pitchers they bring in go on to allow three more runs, and they lose – you know, six to two. And then you look at other guys like what, what the Dodgers did. I mean, the Dodgers used eight pitchers in their law game one loss to the Braves with not one pitcher throwing more than two innings. They used seven pitchers in game two and they lose. They pull same thing. What the Yankees did with, with Cole, they pull Scherzer after four and a third. Now he might've been I think had maybe a tired arm or whatever. And so who knows, but he'd only given up two earned runs after that he gets pulled they give up three more and they lose five to four they come back in game three and they use nine pitchers and then they in game four uh, Urias gets shelled who was one of their aces in the regular season and and how much was that due to the fact that he was used as a relief pitcher in game two so I don't know man it drives me nuts I think that it would have been nice to see some of these teams use their pitchers more in the way they did during the regular season that got them into the playoffs in the first place so I don't know what's going on with baseball in the playoffs but I will say Atlanta's up in the World Series they're one if you look at those stats about average innings pitch for starting pitchers and and the the teams that use their starting pitchers more like they did in the regular season that yes Atlanta has gone to the bullpen a little more in the playoffs just like everyone else but they've done that less they've used their starting pitchers more akin to how they did in the regular season and guess what they're up two games to one in the World Series so so maybe other teams should take note I don't know that's my rant I'm done what let's move on what else all right so I think we've got the calendar check next so we'll go ahead and move on to that As we've talked about before, we won't cover everything during our podcast because that would take too much time, but we will highlight a few of the big items coming up, and then we also have a calendar up on our website. That's www.the615collector.com, 
So check that out as you can find more about what's happening each week from card shows to card releases to the various auctions that are underway, etc. So lots of good stuff on there. So check that out. Yeah, and we'll start with card releases. Tops recently released their 2021 Heritage Minor League Baseball and their Five Star Baseball. And then they've also got the Tops Baseball Update Series coming out. They just released uh, this past week the Topps Chrome Baseball Sapphire Edition. That's one that I really like. Yeah, it's not you know inexpensive, but I do like Sapphire. I think that's going to be one to own longer term and grow in in value. And then their Bowman Inception Baseball uh, product should be coming next week. For Panini, they're releasing their National Treasures Baseball next week. Uh, they'll also be releasing their Chronicles Baseball. Remember, for Panini, base all of baseball is unlicensed product. But nonetheless, I think there's some interesting things in some of those sets. They also just released Absolute Football. I like that one. It's not cheap, but I like it. It has the Kaboom insert that we talked about before, which does command premium prices, but it's only, I think, one per case. So its odds are low that you'll pull one of those. But if you do, that's a big hit. Then they have their classic Spectra and Flawless Collegiate football products coming, I believe, this next week. For basketball, they've got Mosaic Basketball that they're going to be releasing. And then they still have Select available on their website. But again, I think the reason it's still available is a little on the pricing side. And so in that regard, let me just say I often hear people complain about how expensive wax or boxes of cards have become. And yes, that is true. I would agree with that for a lot of the products and brands. But there are some inexpensive options out there. So if you look at that Topps Heritage Minor League product that I talked about, it was less than $100 a box, which wasn't bad. You get a couple autos and things like that. In the Bowman Chrome wasn't crazy expensive. That's been talked about. Uh, we mentioned that. And then last week we talked about the upper deck with the hockey cards. And I think I mentioned that earlier today. They had some inexpensive hobby boxes of their 2019 and 2020 hockey card. And then there's the Skybox Metal Blasters that are like $30. And then Topps still has some Allen and Gintner baseball hobby boxes on their website that I think are about $150. The Chrome version of that product was less than $100 for a hobby box. So, you know, a lot of these may not offer monster cards, but they're good value and they are fun. A lot of them are very fun to rip and give some pretty nice looking cards in them. So if you're looking for less expensive options, you can check those out. All right, so moving on to the fractional platforms and drops they've got coming up. Collectibles got a lot of stuff in the pipeline. A couple of things I thought were interesting. One is there's a shoeless Joe Jackson card that drops actually, I think today. And then they also have a Michael Jordan 1986 Fleer rookie card in an SGC10 uh, slab that will be uh, dropping soon. So check that out if you're interested because I think that's a good example of how to use those platforms. That's a card that's probably gonna be a six-figure card, so maybe out of reach for most people, but you can go onto that platform and spend a few hundred dollars and or a thousand or whatever you've got and own a piece of that and participate in any potential growth in value. So, all right, I think that's it for now. As we said, you can check out our website and for more calendar information of what's happening, we'll specifically be noting some key auctions that are going on and some of the cards we're watching in those auctions, so check it out. That's the uh, www.the615collector.com. All right, so there's still an opportunity to win some free cards as well. We mentioned we're doing a card giveaway last time, so just message us on our website or through our social media platforms with the code word YOGI. And please follow us as well on Facebook and Instagram. If you do that, we will enter you into the drawing and we will be randomly selecting one winner to win some free cards. So good luck to everyone that enters that contest. We will be announcing that winner soon. All right, Brandon, let's jump to the mailbag. 
All right, so we have a couple of questions in the mailbag this week. These are common questions that we hear from collectors. So the first one is, what is a pop report? Yeah, and so that just short for population report. We talked about that a lot today. That's just the different grading companies. It shows the the number of cards that they have graded for each player and each set and all and all that type of stuff. And so if you want, okay, how many cards are out there in a PSA or in an SGC or in a Beckett or whatever, you can go to these companies' pop or population reports and see how many cards have been graded and in how many that have been graded for each of the grades. So you can see, oh, there might have been a thousand that have graded a three and ten thousand graded an eight or whatever. So that's all that's referring to. All right. So the next question relates to the Coach's Corner segment in our last podcast where we covered acronyms. And the question is, what does NIL stand for? I noticed we didn't have that on our list of acronyms in the last one. So we'll get that added and updated on our website. That just stands for name, image, and likeness. And generally, you'll hear that when people are referring to the recent changes the NCAA made with regard to college players being able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. In that regard, I've also heard some people ask if there are any card companies out there doing anything with that. The answer is yes. There's probably going to be a bunch of companies try to jump into that space. I'd be a little careful with who you get stuff from. But Leaf is one that's been around for a long time, and they are one of the first ones I've seen that are doing some stuff in that regard. So they had several cards that were for sale uh, last week, I believe, uh, those sales ended because typically the way they do that is they'll put cards up on their website. You can just go to leaftradingcards.com, go to the store on their website. You kind of have to check back often to see what they make available because I'm, I'm not sure if they announce what a schedule is for their release. I haven't seen anything in that regard, so you just kind of have to check and see. But every now and again, they'll have cards up there. They've had a bunch of college players with their cards, and then they'll leave them up for about a week and then once they close it down and stop taking orders they'll disclose what the print run is and ship out the cards to anyone that bought some so all right i think that's about it i know we had one more question on grading cards but that's a longer and more involved answer than we have time for today since we've already run a little longer than we wanted to go so we'll save it hold it over to our next show That's it. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it, and we're always open to suggestions, so please feel free to let us know what you like, don't like, things you want to hear more about, all that kind of stuff. It's your show. We love to hear from you and get your feedback so we can improve and make the show better, more enjoyable, more informative, and valuable for you. Also, remember to check us out on social media and like and follow our pages and channels, all that stuff, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com. Got lots of plans to add content, so check back often or subscribe to our blog and email list, and we'll update you when we update the site with new content. Yeah, all right, that's it. That's a wrap. Had fun. It was great. Second show's in the books. Hope everyone enjoyed it. We will see you next Friday, same time, same place, here on the 615 Collector.